Good morning. Would you stand with me for our reading from the Gospels? We are going to Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Whoever listens to you, I think I skipped a verse there. That was probably on me. Uh, what is it that we go there and say? Uh, oh, we tell them, even the dust, we, we enter a town, and if they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. You know this, the kingdom of God has come near. And skip into verse 16 now. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words this morning. We just simply ask now that the teacher, the advocate, the Holy Spirit would come now to reveal to us the words of Christ, to reveal to us the heart of Christ, to reveal to us the mind of Christ, so that we might not only encounter you, so that we might only not just hear from you, but that we would be transformed into your likeness through the proclamation of your word. We ask that you would change us. And whatever obstacles you need to remove, whatever hindrances need to be resolved right now, I just pray that you would quiet us, empty us, and prepare us to now be filled with you, filled with your spirit, filled with the life that is in Christ Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. You can grab a seat. I want to give you, and I don't think anything about this um, with no names will be indiscreet, but just a snapshot from three different conversations I had just yesterday. That's not from the week. That's not from the month. That's just yesterday. Um, one day of just connecting with different people in our community, um, having a number of coffees. I mean, I say that. I don't really meet anybody for coffee because I don't drink coffee. I will have a chai tea latte or some super girly thing, and you can drink a coffee. 
and everybody will be fine. This was just, just one day. I thought about this. I just had this, just this snapshot from three different friends, a couple of whom were new. One uh, man in our church has been coming for several years and shared with me a bit of his own journey coming from a community where um, the last church they were in, they were very involved, and the way things kind of landed there, there was a, a lot of ambiguity. Uh, used to be in leadership at this church. There was some tension about direction, that kind of thing. They were extremely attached, really, really intimate with these people. And now have been here at Sanctuary for a couple years and still struggling to kind of find their place here, largely because, and I thought this imagery was so helpful, having this sense that from the last church that the, the experience of being so attached and then coming apart it just felt so violent. There was such a severing there that the sense of almost having an arm lobbed off. And now it's like he said, we're trying to find some other limb and try to find a way to reattach it, which makes a lot of sense to me because I think there are certain losses of relationship. Divorce is that way. Uh, coming apart from a community that you've loved is that way where the, the tearing is so violent and so intense. You don't just pop into town and church the next day and just kind of move on. It's, this, this is very real. But struggling now um, with this sense that we feel called to be here, we want to be more involved, we want to take the risk to love people and be loved again, but still you can feel that squeamishness that comes from that experience. So that's one snapshot. Second snapshot was being with another friend who has found that in his own journey with the Lord, that the more that he's changing and growing and the more that he's coming to know of the character of God, the more that the nature of his own faith is kind of transforming. And struggling with this real anxiety that the places that he feels like God is taking him now, spiritually, theologically, which he feels very grounded in the faith, very grounded in this community, but afraid that the convictions that he's coming to now will, if he's open about them, mean complete ostracization from his own family. That to be open about the way that he thinks about God now is so different from where he came from that he's really afraid that this could mean like being put out and having this sense of having these kind of conversations where he's wanting to be honest, where he's wanting to you know, express what he believes to be deeply true, but kind of tiptoeing around too because it's like if I share these things that I deeply believe, does that mean it's going to cost me this, th these relationships that are so fundamental? And then third snapshot of a new friend who's in the process of going through a second divorce and kind of after already going through a first one, it's not very much fun. This is not a thing of his choosing, um, but things are kind of pushing ahead and really just struggling with this thing of, I never thought I'd be here before. I could imagine I'd be here before. And on one hand, his own faith is growing deeper and deeper. His connection with God has only gotten stronger. I mean, he's so clinging to the Lord right now. But the, the vulnerability and the fragility of now being a little bit older and being alone very unexpectedly. I thought, and all of these conversations were so different. But for me, the through line is I'm just thinking about how much, just thinking about the sheer amount of vulnerability and the sheer amount of risk involved with each of these scenarios. <laughs> I know what it's like to be deeply connected to a church and now I feel like I'm supposed to connect again, but I have a real fear that maybe I'm not ready. I have a real fear that if I do it, then I may get hurt. I know that God is changing me and growing me, and I feel like I'm supposed to find a way to be faithful um, in terms of my own witness for Jesus in the context of my family and my close friendships. But I don't know if I'm going to still have a place at the table 
if I talk openly about this. Or here I am at a place in my life going through this disastrous breakup and yet at the same time feeling called to use my gifts and to step out in the world in some ways. I feel like God's warm. But all of that, just having the sense, somehow all of that connected with me to when Jesus is looking at the 70 and he's sending them out and he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, which is not really what I want to hear. I want to hear, um, I want to hear that God is sending me out as a wolf among sheep. <laughs> Doesn't that sound better? I want to be the wolf. It's funny because I'm so mild-mannered. I didn't plan to talk about this, but that's true about a lot of things. I get, um, so like when I work out, which I'm not saying I do as much as some people, but when I work out... <laughs> I didn't mention any names. No, don't quite have the rhythm and discipline of some people. But when I do, I love listening to hip hop precisely because it's like, it's just everything I'm not. You know what I mean? <laughs> like sometimes I just want to put on a beat that's really dirty. I say the lyrics would be dirty, but a dirty beat that just like feels real like, like that. And the thing that, that's... The thing about hip-hop, for better or for worse, is that there's a lot of ego in hip-hop, right? There's a lot of like, I'm the best in the world. I'm better than you. I'm better than your friends. I got more money than you. Like, like none, none of this is remotely true about my life. But I need that when I'm working out. I need that when I'm working out, you know? That kind of sense of like, yeah, I'm here. I'm going to do. I can lift that, whatever. Why? Because I'm the greatest in the world. Y'all don't even know, you know, it's like I get, so it's like I go into this zone for just a little while to kind of escape out into that for a few minutes. The effect wears off relatively quickly, <laughs> and that's not the general spirit in which I live my life or think I'm supposed to live my life, and in fact, that's part of what's funny about that for me is that like I can kind of, it's this way of sort of psyching myself up for a few minutes and uh, kind of trying to forget for a little while so that I can work out better. <laughs> how human I am and how fragile I am. Like, I want to feel a little superhuman for just, for just a little while. But then, you know, inevitably, something happens in the course of any given day where I'm just reminded of how frail and ridiculous I am. And in that regard, always coming back around to this same sense of risk. I, one of the things that's really um, interesting, good, difficult about this season of my life is... I continue to feel like I'm called to live a more and more vulnerable life. Like I want to live as vulnerably as I can within parameters, not unhealthy, I hope. I want to be as transparent as I can. But, you know, there's something about that, that especially when you feel called to like write and speak, that sometimes I just go around sometimes feeling like, okay, there is just too much of my soul just out there. Like I don't like how that feels. I don't like some, sometimes feeling like I'm leaving a different chunk of my soul everywhere that I go. I don't like the fact, like, it, this isn't something that comes naturally to me. It feels really uncomfortable. And yet, it, it's instead of feeling like I can somehow self-protect a little bit, I feel like the Lord just keeps calling me to do that more. To be more vulnerable, to be more transparent, to be more open. Once again, not, this, not satisfying people's desire for some weird, you know what I'm saying, like voyeuristic, I'm going to tell you everything about my life, but just living from a kind of transparent, humble place. And I'm always wanting the Lord to give me some assurance, you know, that so long as, and I'm, I still am always wanting to kind of like barter with the Lord, so 
if I live this way, if I live with my heart on my sleeve, if I try to be open-hearted, you know, because I want to let people in, I want to let God in, I want to be, you know, I just want space. I talked last week about being roomy in that way. Like, so if I live this way, that means you'll protect me, right? <laughs> and in a way, and, and sort of, I mean, the Lord will go with us. But notice how descriptive the language is here. I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. How safe does that sound? I mean, Jesus doesn't try to give us the impression at all that if you go out and you're faithful and you do what you're called to do, that everybody around you is going to receive and accept that. He doesn't give us any assurances whatsoever that so long as we do what we're called to do, that everything will go well for us. In fact, I find that throughout the Gospels, Jesus seems to do the exact same thing. If they reject me, then they'll reject you. I want to be careful here because here's a distinction where I do think it's really important that we realize that we're not quite like Jesus here. I am very aware that much of what I experience as rejection and conflict in my life is not as simple as I go out and I'm Christ-like and the bad people reject me. <laughs> Let me encourage you not to think, not to see the world that way. Okay, I'm not living in Bangladesh. I'm not living in some place where I'm being actively persecuted for my faith. I really, especially in a North American context, like feel the need, like let's not get too much into that martyr spirit. It's just not, it's just not helpful, right? So it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, well, we just go out and we just try to be good and holy and we're always so good, but then there's the bad, bad wolf out there. It's not, I'm not saying that, but I really think that there are many different ways that we are sheep among wolves. I think that even trying to live for Christ is always an attempt to live from a place of humility, authenticity, and vulnerability that is just not like the ways of the world. It leaves you exposed in ways that other people are not exposed. That's another thing that, some, that I think I can be hyper-conscious about like in, my, in terms of my own relationships. Like I feel called to, when you feel called to like re, live really open, it's like, well, I'm going to be open, so everyone should be open with me. Well, everybody is not equally that way. But wait, no, I'm exposed here. Now I'm feeling really naked. That's how I feel the, when I shave every three or four years. It's like to, I feel very exposed right now. I want to find a way to be less exposed. And yet th this for me is part and parcel of, of what it means to be people of Christ in the world, is that we go into the world knowing that God has sent us in a way that will leave us vulnerable and exposed. And we do it not because it's comfortable. We do it not because we're assured that everything's going to work out okay. We do it because Christ sends us, because we're doing what he asks us to do. We're doing it because we do know that he has promised to be with us. We do know that he has promised to remain close to us. He says he will never leave us. He says he will never forsake us. He says he will never abandon us. But that doesn't mean that there aren't wolves around the corner with some really sharp teeth. That doesn't mean there's not going to be pain. That doesn't mean that we're not going to get our hearts broken. And that for me is maybe um, in some ways the crux of the message is that I don't think it's possible for us to really love anybody or anything and not take the risk of having our hearts broken. In fact, perhaps not. Um, perhaps it's not possible to live in the way that Christ calls us to live and not to have our hearts broken on a regular basis. I, I think this is part of what it means to be a Christian, is to regularly enter into the heartbreak of God, and yet to do so 
willingly to do so without fear. Richard Rohr, in his great book on contemplative prayer, has a section I wanted to share with you. It's right on the heels of talking about how uh, followers of Jesus have to detach from certain things. Like we're detaching from ego, we're detaching from finding our identity in terms of our gifts, or our possessions, that kind of thing. But then he talks about the ways that we have to be attached. Uh, Rohr puts it like this. Jesus tells us to love and to pay the price for loving. The heart and the soul are first to attach to things and fall in love. Look at the image of the sacred heart of Jesus. His heart is out in front of his chest. It may not be great art, but it is great theology. The heart is given and the price is paid. When we attach, when we fall in love, we risk pain and we will always suffer for it. The cross is not the price that Jesus had to pay to convince God to love us. Rather, it is simply where love will lead us. Jesus names the agenda. If we love, if we give ourselves to feel the pain of the world, it will crucify us. We may prefer to remain aloof and detached, but that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is to risk the attachments of love and then keep growing in what it actually means to love. This is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. All authentic love leads to a cross. It's just the way it works. That if we make ourselves vulnerable, if we risk being exposed, if we risk living heart first, if we risk following God in this way, going out as sheep among wolves, inevitably there will be crucifixion, there will be pain. Uh, I think the question for, for a lot of us is just is whether or not we decide that ultimately this is going to be worth it for us. Um, we all, I think, know something of what it is to go through seasons of life where precisely because we've been hurt, we really attempt to insulate ourselves a little bit. I don't even think that's a bad thing. I actually think in experiences of great hurt and pain and trauma, like sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do to stay alive for a little while. Like, I get that. But this thing of walling off just a little bit, emotionally detaching just a little bit, withdrawing just a little bit, um, I felt that connect even a bit with the message last week, that sense of sometimes just wanting to retreat. Give me my nest. Let me just get into my hole and hide out from the rest of the world. These things are perfectly logical to want to do, but it's just not a place where we're permitted, permitted to stay. We can't live there. I love Beekner's quote, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen, don't be afraid. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, don't be afraid. God is with us. We do believe in the love that ultimately does conquer death and the resurrection that always overcomes death, hell, and the grave. So I, someone just said that to me recently. Worst thing, it was funny uh, the way it came out. It was like, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you die. And if you die, then you'll be with Jesus. Oh, you know, not always easy to say it that casually, but there's such truth to that. What is the worst thing that can happen to us? as people who believe that resurrection has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. This is precisely what enables us to live fearlessly. This is precisely what enables us to give of ourselves in ways that the world does not know. It's precisely because we have this trust in the God of resurrection. I was, uh, yesterday we lost um, one of, I don't know, just one of the great, Figures of our time, I would say, in Elie Wiesel, um, of course, a Holocaust survivor, extraordinary Jewish thinker and speaker. I heard him speak in person, I think, I guess that was somewhere around 2007, 2008, and it was life-altering for me. I'll never forget um, just his sense of presence and the things that I heard. And 
Uh, I mean, I would recommend reading anything of Vizel's. I think is helpful and worth engaging. But he's especially famous for this speech that he gives um, on indifference. And almost the point, I don't know if this is cliche or not, but this particular quote has said, had such meaning for me. But talking about uh, indifference and, and apathy, and I wanted to share that, it seemed especially appropriate the day after his death. Uh, Vizel writes, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. I love that quote because for me it names so much. The thing that as followers of Jesus that we have to avoid at all costs more than anything else is indifference. The indifference that in a way would insulate us a little bit and keep us, it would seem, from getting hurt is, it, is so much the enemy of our true faith. I just think there's something so significant about living open in this way. But I, I don't want to just stay there. I want to give you just a couple things this morning. I mean, this is kind of all in the spirit of going out as sheep among wolves, knowing that God is the one who sends us, knowing that God is with us, taking the risk to love, even though we know inevitably it means that we're going to get hurt. But I think beyond that, there's some really intriguing things here in terms of how we are sent, what it looks like to be sent, what marks a life uh, that is lived in love in this way, what it looks like to go as sheep among the wolves, how exactly we carry this out. And they're very short, um, so I'll move fairly quickly. But first of all, I think it's significant that when Jesus charges the disciples, he sends the 70 out in pairs. He sends them out two by two. I cannot overstate the significance of that that Christ never sends us out into the world alone. And I think that is precisely why for so many of us, our spirituality can feel especially dangerous. It's because when you're living in a world where you're a sheep among wolves, the, the protection that we are able to have, the strength that we are able to have, is the strength that we draw from being with each other. If we're trying to do this on our own, if we're trying to live this life with God on our own, it the world is infinitely scarier because that's just not how we're called to live. We're called to do this thing in community. We're called to do this with people by our side. Not just people that we know, not random acquaintances, but people that we really share life with. People that we open up our souls to. That's how Christ sends us out. And so I just want to encourage you really gently with that, that if you are still at a place where you find yourself trying to do this more or less alone, and I don't... I don't have like a four-part thing. We do have small groups and things like that at Sanctuary, and we're talking, praying all the time about how to better integrate people into the life of the community. I'm not going on like a 15-minute tear on that. I know it's always easier said than done, but I just can't stress this enough. Like, it just doesn't work to just show up on Sundays or just listen to podcasts and just read some good teaching and some six chapters of the Bible every day and, some, and, and, and call that some kind of a Christian life. It just doesn't work. It's too private. A relationship with God is always deeply personal, but it can't be private. We have to do this with each other. And I think some of the reason that some of us ends up in, in some places where we feel especially scared and especially alone, yes, the wolves are going to be out there. Yes, there's always going to be a certain amount of risk. But we don't even have that basic security of knowing that we're really doing this, living this life alongside people who care for us. I just want to encourage you as best as I can that it's worth taking the risk it's worth taking the risk 
to invest in a handful of friends, to invest in a handful of folks in a community. We can't, I mean, realistically, I know Jesus sends out the 70 here. You're not going to be in real community with 70 people. <laughs> even among the, the 70, right, you know, Jesus has 12. And even among the 12, he's got three that's an inner circle. You don't need a whole bunch of people, but you need a handful of people that you can really trust, that you can really open your soul to. So that's the first thing. It's just really, it's not doing this alone. But then second, and this one is challenging to me, because I know that, I don't know, as it is with the teachings of Jesus, like I don't want to try to weasel out from things just because I don't, I don't like them. But admittedly, um, his charge to the 70 is a little hard for us to take literally in this regard, right? When he sends them out and he says, don't bring a bag. Don't bring a purse. Don't bring sandals. You just go. And, you know, so no, I don't read that and think this is a literal charge. Kind of like, all right, everybody, take off your shoes. <laughs> Start walking on shards of glass. You know, it's like I don't, I don't think that's the idea. Um, I, I don't think the women in our church this morning are somehow in sin for carrying their handbags. I mean, I even came in with my man bag, so I'd have my laptop if I needed it. So I have a man bag. I mean, already... I am missing it. Here I am preaching from Luke chapter 10, and I walked in the church with a man bag. <laughs> feel so bad about myself right now. Um, I think, though, that what, where the spirit of this, I think, is something that's really universal and that I need to hear and that I think we need to hear is that Jesus, when he sends us out, I think for so many of us, it's like we want to prepare for every eventuality. We need to, I need to make sure I am prepared I don't know about y'all. I mean, I feel like there's a pattern in this sermon. I mentioned my chai tea lattes and my man bag, so I don't know if I want to like say this now too. But I am the worst overpacker ever. I really am because I'm always thinking about every eventuality. Well, it's going to be hot there, but it might be breezy. And I need a light jacket, right? What if it rains? What if, I, you know, and next thing you know, it's like I'm, I've got like tools and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, what is, how did that get here? <laughs> a little extra hair product wouldn't hurt. It's just thinking through every, and, and it's, and especially in the world too, like where there's any and all kinds of insurance. You know, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. And, and to a point, right, I think that's great. Like I want you to be insured and I think it's good to have a living will, like all of that is fine and good. But the fact of the matter is, the world is still fundamentally pretty wild, and you can only be so prepared. I think that's precisely why trying to sort of prepare for every possible outcome and eventuality just doesn't work. It's because we're just not that in control of the world around us. And inevitably, even if you try to prepare for all of it, isn't that the, isn't that the way it goes? Like, you're going to get hit with the thing that you're not prepared for. That's just the way it goes. If I, I can say things sometimes that sound overly morbid, but I feel like this is the way, it, the way it is. You try to be really healthy and try to make sure that you eat in such a way that you don't have cancer, which means you're going to get struck by lightning. It's just the way the world works. Right? I mean, it's just kind of like whatever it is. Try really hard at this. Okay. I mean, one way or the other. Trouble is going to come. It's just, it's the way that life works. In the meantime, I feel like so much of our own pain comes from feeling the need or the pressure to try to be so prepared for everything. And even in a, in a, in a very focused way, I mean this spiritually, trying to be spiritually prepared. Try to read all the manuals. I am all for a theological training. I've done plenty of that. 
And it, it amazes me to this day how little my real pastoral life on the ground, how little of that I was ever prepared for. I'm like, I read all these books, and I still don't know what to do when this happens. I mean, I, I feel like it happens every other day that I'm confronted with something where I'm like, ooh, I don't remember getting any instructions for this. And is that how you feel? I'm not a parent, but parents in our church, is this how you feel? Did anybody give you a manual? And then like, oh, yeah, well, page 76 says. I, I think it's fine to be prepared to a point, but I think part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is we really do have to, at a certain point, go because we're sent, do the best we can to be obedient and faithful and really trust God with the outcomes. Really have to trust God with the outcomes. That's another part of this text, right? Is he says that wherever they go, they're supposed to proclaim the kingdom of God. We are people of the peaceable kingdom, proclaiming that peace in a violent world. We are called to bear witness to the kingdom of God wherever we go. But notice that Jesus prepares them. Sometimes you'll go to cities and they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to pay you any attention. And what he tells them, I think, is interesting. He says, if they do that, then shake the dust off your feet, which is a really specific reference. If the people who received these disciples practice hospitality, then they would wash their feet and there'd be no dust to shake off. But, since they, if, but if they don't receive you, then shake the dust. And what Jesus says about this, God will deal with them. We read in the gospel text last week where Jesus rebukes the disciples because several of them, when, they get, when people don't accept them, they say, all right, should we call down fire from heaven? No, 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 no. Shake the dust off your sandals. There are, there's so much hip-hop convergence in this sermon right now. <laughs> Brush that dirt off your shoulders, my friend. JC would tell us, get that dirt off your shoulders. Brush it off. And keep, keep moving, keep going, because you're not in charge of any of these outcomes. You're not responsible for whether or not anybody else comes to faith. You're responsible for proclaiming the kingdom with your life and with your words. But how that's received, that's not up to you. How that other person chooses to behave or not behave, that's not up to you. I've, I'm having some version of this conversation most every day of my life because I, I just keep seeing it in every direction. And I just, I don't know, it's one of those things like when you come to see it, you just see the world differently. Like I feel like I'm, I've lived so much of my life in angst, trying to control the people around me and just really coming to a place. Look, I believe, in, um, I believe in things like prophetic words. I think it's possible that God might give me something to say. But even if I feel like God gives me a burning thing to say, if a person is ready and they're asking questions, and they're welcoming, and they're, they're looking for that kind of counsel, then, and the door is open, then I will give it. But if that door is not open, it is not worth my time or energy trying to carve out a door. It does not work. It does not work. And I don't care how right you think your discernment is, which is the really frustrating thing. Well, I just know, I, I know, I know what's wrong with them, and they would listen to me never works. You can't force any of that. When it's time to see a thing, then you can see it. But when it's not time, you just don't see. Is, 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 am I telling the truth here? I don't know. I feel like everything I'm saying, I'm like, am I right? <laughs> 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 am I right, people? 
But I do. I feel like it's like there's just this like we have so much anxiety because, oh, but if they just, that's not up to you. Your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, you don't get to control anybody's behavior. You get to bear witness to the kingdom the best way you know how and trust God with the results. Everything else, it's just not up to you. I just think that for some of us, we could live with so much more freedom if we could come to really accept that and be all right with it, that God just does not put results in our hands. We plant the seed. That is all. God is the one who waters. God is the one who brings the increase. Results just aren't up to us. It makes doing church so much easier, you know, when it's, even as a community, when we just don't feel like we're responsible for all the bottom lines. We have to be faithful to do the things that God has put us here to do and leave the results in God's hands. It's just not up to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Simple little word. It's, I'm trying to keep it simple. I, mean, I think this is the last one I'll do from this text. There's a lot that could be said. But the other thing I really, um, actually really like and find interesting is that Jesus tells them, you know, when you, when you go to a town, for one, he says, don't go to house, uh, from house to house. So don't move. I don't think that's really the point. No, what he's, I think the idea is that, you know, you had sometimes in Jesus' day, people when they were doing some form of traveling prophetic ministry, because you've got all kinds of versions of that, where they're kind of going house to house means they're like panhandling, essentially, you know, going door to door for money. You know, just find a house, stay in the house. And a, a verse that really intrigues me, I've never thought a lot before, he says, eat whatever is set before you. I like that verse on so many levels. Eat whatever is set before you. It especially um, strikes me in a countercultural way because I am a person who, um, and I really don't say this just to be funny, like anybody who knows me knows it's true, like I'm, I take food and eating very seriously, and I just have this real last supper thing going on at every supper, because I'm thinking, hey man, this could be, this could be the last time. That thing that a lot of you used to do when you were more diligent in your faith about the rapture, I do that about eating all the time. It's like, I'm never going to get this meal back. I don't get to do this twice. You don't know when it's going to be your lesson, so I really, like, I really think. And it's become so common then to, like, be kind of paralyzed by the amount of choice. Remember Kathleen Norris in her book, The Cloister Walk, tells this great story about taking a monk with her who's been in a monastery for many years where they always serve the same cereal, taking him to Walmart, and how he loses his mind on the cereal aisle <laughs> because, like, just to see, I'm supposed to pick out a cereal now? Like, I think... We really don't know sometimes how much our lack of simplicity, how much that actually wears on us because we're expending so much time and energy just trying to figure out what to do. I mean, I get done with lunch and already I'm having a serious deliberation about what to eat for dinner. I mean, a lot of this is literally true in that regard. So I think like the, the spirit of this for me in terms of eating what's set before you is I think we have, we have to take conscious steps sometimes just to de-simplify, to de-simplify, to simplify some of the clutter, right? To, to find a way to just streamline. I'm not being super legalistic about this. I'm not being moralistic about this. I'm t- like these basic parameters and boundaries that actually give us more freedom. Like this is sometimes really, really important to do. So, I mean, I, and I, I feel like especially right now, we're in a culture where we're just consuming so much information and there's so much noise. Oh, I think for some of us, it would be so life-giving to have a few hours 
of the day where you just don't pick up the phone at all, you know, like a couple, a little bit of space. <laughs> Isn't it remarkable? I, I don't even want to say this out loud because I don't be accountable to it, but I do know it's true that a lot of the time why I have a hard time falling asleep and why I want the Ambien is because there's just too many screens and I don't need that at 10 o'clock at night, right? Just too much noise, too much stimulation. What we end up when we're constantly confronted with all of that choice is that it becomes really, really paralyzing. And I just think, I, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it just feels right. Like so much of what I think God calls us to do in the world just means we, we have to declutter a little bit from where we are. Have to be a little more simple about this. And in the meantime, eat what's set before you, I think, could mean like, could give you great permission that if you're out to eat at somebody's house or whatever, it's like, hey, here's where you can have the carbs tonight because they're serving the dinner. And you're like, well, Jesus told me to eat whatever is set before me. So right now, I have permission for the carbs, whatever it might be. But you know, really, like this sense of just like these moments, it just feels like such a gift for me right now in my life when I have moments where I don't have to make the decisions. <laughs> the decisions are made. I think a lot of us are really hungry for that. So I just want to encourage you, whatever that looks like in your life, to take some of those steps that may be part of what it means for you to be more effective in the things that God's calling you to do out in the world actually could be as simple as a little bit of streamlining, a little bit of minimization, where it's just, we're just not having to overthink our own choices all the time. Man, living in Walmart is stressful. <laughs> and that's what it feels like right now, that the world is Walmart. And everything is, everything is choice. Isn't that the great thing about cable television? Hey, look. 1,500 stations. That's awesome. I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> Your eyes are going cross, and it's like, good Lord. I, I'm, I, I think I'm done. I don't even know if this is anointed at this point. You know, I went, through, I went through a season in my life where I actually felt like I felt drawn by the Lord to stop reading theology for a season because it was just overstimulation. I was trying to like wrestle down all the big answers, and I was reading so voraciously and so hungrily. It's like, oh, I need to get to the next German theologian. No, 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 just, just stop that. Almost like a charged Lord. Read some novels, because I just don't need your head quite so full of all this stuff all the time. You know, it would often mean that. I mean, like, I'm overthinking everything. So, like, even the most simple matters of obedience or faith, like, we're extremely, we're becoming too sophisticated to me. Hmm... Well, what does it really mean to live on Michon? Michon or Michons? <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, hmm. If I parse this word in Greek differently, ooh. And so, like, I just, like, can't have a quiet time reading from Galatians because I'm too immersed in scholarly debate about what Galatians really means. Oh, not an awesome way to live. So sometimes some basic simplicity. Please stand with me so that I will. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm this is what I'm totally hearing today. Somebody comes home, how was church today? Well, <laughs> Pastor Jonathan basically gave all his homespun advice in one sermon. <laughs> this is like all the folk wisdom. <laughs> you know, guys, you just need to, <laughs> I hope the Holy Spirit could take it and make it a little bit more than that. Uh, let's, let's pray. Well, Lord, we just, um, First of all, I just want to uh, take a moment, um, Lord, just for you to be able to remind your people and really even to speak this on your behalf, uh, less folk wisdom, more prophecy, uh, that these are your sons and daughters and that they are sent. And I pray that they would feel that, God, that they are not wandering accidentally 
from one place to the next. They are sent. They're in this place this morning, in this community, because they're sent. And even in the job that right now doesn't feel ideal, they are sent. And in their most basic family relationships, they are sent to bear witness of your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that for those who... uh, I just pray especially for those this morning who... Precisely because they have been hurt in these, uh, some of these kind of fundamental ways. Just, it's so scary to think about trusting a church community again. It's so scary to think about jumping into that area of ministry where they're feeling nudged and drawn right now. It's so All of that can just be so scary. And on the one hand, Lord, I really believe that, that you, know, you give us so much grace when we've experienced hurt and pain. Of course, it's all right to take seasons for healing and for rest. Like You so want us to do that. But Lord, I just feel like there, there are sons and daughters here who, who are paralyzed because um, they're, they're so afraid of rejection. They're so afraid of what it would mean to put their heart out there one more time. And I just pray, God, not with a cavalier shrug it off, but I do pray, God, that there would just be real grace this morning and faith that would rise up in them this morning just to be able to step back out there, to take the risk to love in your name, to take the risk to bless in your name, not to fear the rejection, but to draw our strength, to draw our validation, to draw our affirmation directly from you, from who you say we are, from who you've called us to be. And I just pray that fear would not be the thing that holds us back from anything that you've called us to do. Perfect love cast out fear. So Father, cast out the fear today. Fill us with your love. And I pray where there has not been faith, that faith would rise up. And I pray, God, that where there has not been confidence, that confidence would be restored today. That you are the one who has called us. You are the one who has sent us. You are the one who will equip us for every good work in Christ Jesus. We trust you for that now. Whatever steps that takes, whatever ways that we need to move forward, God, give us the grace to do that now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.